Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgewood and this is Lit Up. My guest today is Uli Boyde-Cohen, who has been riding the New York City subway for the last seven years, asking people what they are reading. This has inspired her popular Instagram account, at Subway Book Review, and her new book, Between the Lines, Stories from the Underground. Now, this episode is very New York-centric. It's a special love letter to New York City, especially the subway that connects us all. As you'll hear, Uli is so warm and thoughtful. I really hope you enjoy the show. Before we get into that, I have to ask, how did you get here, Uli? Well, thank you for asking. I took a bus. I know, scandalous, scandalous. Give me time. I took a bus from my home in Fort Greene down to J Street, got on the F train, and it was one of those trains, you know, where sometimes the two doors don't open. You get the trick door where one stays closed and only one door opens, and you know when that happens, it's going to be an interesting ride, and that was true. It was a very slow-moving F train on this fine Tuesday morning, but we made it. We made it. You're here. Took it to 23rd. Street Station. Interesting stop. Went on a quick little, yeah, it's good. It has all the dog mosaics, do you know? I mean, every station is a treasure. There's treasures that abound once you just pause for a moment and take a look. Um, Got us little coffees and here I am. It's so interesting because I always get off at 14th Street to come to this location, which is on 21st Street and 5th Avenue. My colleagues at work think I'm crazy as well. I think I love the farmer's market on Mondays and Wednesdays, just to have that, to walk through and see all the farmers and the fresh fruit and veggies really gets me going. But while we're on Union Square, can you tell me what is happening with your book and with this particular station that we can look forward to? Absolutely. I mean, Union Square Station, hands down, one of the faves. I mean, it's such a beautiful hub. 
everything happens there are chess playing Hare Krishna farmers market right now the holiday market is popping off it is crazy right there's the clock on one of the buildings that is showing us how much debt we have in the world I mean Union Square is where it goes down so I spend a lot of time there to interview people for Subway Book Review and find out what people are reading and um, I noticed how many empty newsstands there are around the city and I thought how good would it be to bring some joy into the stations and to rejuvenate and to create a little space where people can feel comfortable, where they can see that the city is coming back and is alive. Because we see so many empty storefronts and so many signs that say space for lease. So I hit up that good old MTA and said, hello, how great would it be to put a pop-up bookshop into one of these newsstands? And the MTA said, you're crazy. We love you. Let's try What's happening now is that we're going to have the Subway Book Review pop-up bookshop, say that 10 times fast, open from December 1st to December 12th, and we're going to sell books that are in my book Between the Lines, which is really, you know, meta because it's in a way a book about books, um, holiday favorites, and you can also get books that are on the wish list of incarcerated people at Rikers Island and share some of the joy of reading. Our opening hours are Monday through Friday, 10 to 7. Wish me luck. There's no bathroom in that station. I'm, I'm going to have to figure that out. Uli, you can walk here. I mean, I'm sure many organizations will let you go to the restroom yeah. there. That would be great. If people can email me the available bathrooms near Union Square Station that they will open up to me, that would be fabulous. On weekends, we'll be open too. And it's on 14th and Broadway on the entrance to the L train right past the turnstiles underground. Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. I just learned about this this morning as we were talking about the book. So what a, a way to help revitalize New York City. And I'm sure so many cities all over the world are feeling the effects of the pandemic and we're all craving connection. And I think certainly your book was inspired by craving connection, particularly in New York. Can you take us back to 2013, what were your expectations of moving to New York City and how wrestling with like, hmm, why isn't the city opening up to me exactly the way I want? How did that lead you on a journey underground? Mm, yeah. I mean, what a different time it was. You know, 2013, those were the Obama years still, which are hard to remember after everything we've been through now. Um, I think that there was a general feeling of possibility and there was that feeling of hope that we were given and inspired with. And I came here very much with that in the back in my back pocket, I was very bright-eyed, very bushy-tailed, very excited and enthusiastic. And that's never changed, which <laughs> I think is the best thing about you and why your spirit is in this book and why thousands of people have responded to you. Thank you for that. That's very sweet. I think my general disposition was that I really wanted to get to know New York because I was like, this is such a place for dreamers and for dreams to come true. And it's magical. And you set your feet on the ground and you feel the magic enter through the soles of your feet, going all the way up to the crown of your head. Now we're in a yoga session. Just bear with me. And you really are immediately touched by your environment, very much so. And you feel the grandness of the city. And you also feel the 
amount of energy exchange that's going to be required. And I say energy exchange because what I had on my mind, my background is in filmmaking, and I came here definitely wanting to apply myself to the city, not only to extract something from it, which I think is very important. Someone who I spoke with, uh, Regan DeLogans, who is an indigenous woman doing incredible work here in New York, said said this very succinctly. She said, you know, I came here wanting to extract and further my career like everyone else. And I relate to that so much because to me, the question that I came here with was, well, what can I give to the city so that this exchange is intact and that it's a closed energy loop? So it's not just me taking, but also me giving. And I wanted to find a space where I could do that. And I wanted it to be an iconic space and a space that was maybe not as frequently changing as, you know, we see the streets above ground changing. And so the subway and the underground was such a meaningful spot because the underground literally is, of course, where all movements are born and where ideas are birthed and then become part of the mainstream. And so to go underground and to really immerse myself in the city at its roots felt very right. And I didn't know at first what was going to happen. I really picked the location first and just started to spend time on the subway. And I would ride it for hours with no destination in mind. And I would see how still I could become and what would reveal itself to me. And I think we forget that. I think that seeking requires so much stillness and it's so easy to forget. And it took me a second to become very still, but once I did, it really struck me just how many beautiful books were present on the subway and how curious of a mind New York City has. And of course, we know this because a New Yorker touches so many different lives. You have to know a little bit about everything because we're constantly conversing with each other and we pride ourselves in being interested and interesting people, both. You have to be both in New York. You can't just be interesting. And people will be like, oh, what a phony, you know, and write you off. You also have to be interested. And I was like, man, these people with these books, they probably have important things to share. And so I went up one day to one of the readers, was a woman who was standing on the other side of the train. Her name was Hannah. She was reading Catching Fire by Suzanne Collins. And um, I was nervous. My hands were sweating. <sighs> my heart was pounding. And I was like, oh my God, you're going to do this right now. You're going to just ask this person about their life for a second and break subway etiquette because the subway is also a space where we used to talk to each other quite a bit. It was kind of our marketplace. It was the farmer's market, you know, where you saw each other and you saw the same people on their way to work every day and you would chat. So there were things that just carried me forward. And in that moment of speaking to Hannah, I found out that she was on her way to Alvin Ailey, which a legendary dance company, which at that time I knew nothing about. So then I had something to Google, which was wonderful. And we didn't talk for very long, but just diving into her journey with her for a moment was very sweet. And she was very generous. And I, spur of the moment, asked if I could take her photo to commemorate the interactions. She said yes. And then, you know, I did catch fire at that point. I was hooked. And I thought, Let's just keep doing this and let's just see what comes. And seven years later, 
I've spoken to over a thousand people. I've ridden every subway line front to back. I've talked to people in all five boroughs. You know, you think that, oh, everybody has the same problems. Everybody is looking for the same thing, right? Like, oh, we all want to be loved and we all want to be understood. Yes, but that unfolds in such individual ways in our past experiences and our traumas and our personal purposes are so intertwined in that, that truly every journey that I have encountered has been absolutely magnificent and unique in its very own way. And I've learned so much from every single one of them. Can I ask you a question? Yes, please. What do you think defines your commute? Ooh. Like you mentioned, I think the pandemic and wearing masks in the subway now, which I don't know if I'll ever take it off just because of what we know about germs. However, I find when there is a shared experience on the subway, it's hard to communicate with one another. Like we try to smile with our eyes a lot. I miss those shared glances. Also, you know, when there's someone crazy on the subway and you need to look at the person next to you and go like, oh, we're here, we're okay. I feel like those interactions have been more difficult because it's hard to communicate blocked off. So I miss that. And I definitely feel that because of our phones, and you mentioned in the book that the internet came to the subway in 2017. And before that, you were forced even just to look up. So for me, I'm still watching. It sounds like you like watching faces. Yeah, I'd prefer that mm -hmm. much more than the how cut off we are. Yeah. Something that made me laugh in the book, which everyone can relate to all over the world, was when you, you know, when your subway or train bus ticket runs out of money and do you top up like, do you top up with money and a money amount or with time? And how you kind of stand there with this quandary going, well. It's a conundrum. Yes. It is. It's real. Every time I, it, it stops me in my track still and I laugh because at the ticket kiosk, when you refill your card, it asks you, would you like to add value or would you like to add time? Think about that. That's a real brain teaser. That's a very philosophical question that the MTA poses to you uncaffeinated at 8 a.m. in the morning, you know? Do you want to add value or do you want to add time? Honestly, I don't think I've ever even pressed the time button. I should branch out. I should do it. What does it do? What does it mean? I, of course, I would like to add time. But will that happen at the with the MTA? I don't think so. I don't think the MTA has ever given me time. You know what I mean? They have never has a subway ride gone faster than expected. Never. You know? Very rarely. I'll give them that. But what a what a precious offer, MTA. We appreciate you. Thank you for offering us time. Well, and... Often I think, because I go for time. I go for time. You do it. Yeah. What does that button do? So it means that you can ride unlimited within that frame, that time frame. So I get like a month unlimited pass. So that's giving me time, a month of riding the subway as much as I like. That's versus fascinating. I should do time. Uli, if you are, if you are riding the subway that much... I have. You should have been using. For years, I've just added value because that just sounded interesting to me as a German. You know, of course, value. Yeah. Very tangible. 
As a German, I figured that you would have definitely added up your trips and gone definitely value. I spent so much money. At this point, yeah, at this point, oh my God, I've spent probably tens of thousands. I could have bought a home had I added time. You've got to switch. I think you need to um, capture this in an Instagram story, (laughs) this big moment. What does that say about me as a person? I spent so much time. And I'm so flexible with so many things, but I'm like dedicated to this one step. This one step is part of the routine and I've just done it for years, almost a decade, no question asked. I think we're going to have a huge personal transformation today after you've used (laughs) up that card. Yeah. Now I have to finish the value. My God. So I want to segue and I want to do like a Russian roulette. Okay. With the book. I love that. Where you just open and yes. then you tell me about one of the people that you met and a little about their story. Yeah. Let's do it. So you see, can you hear the, the, the rustling, the rustling the bustling. of books? It's like the balls in the <laughs> lotto thing. But I, oh, I do it? Yeah. I think you do it. Oh, okay. You and do then, it. Which I, by the way, I really love reading a book that way especially a book like Between the Lines, like we're almost like roomy, you know? You just go and you open a page and you see what it wants to tell you that day. It's brilliant. I've been reading the book like that too. Yeah, good. Okay, I just opened. To Jumani Williams. Jumani Williams. Well, okay, I mean, he's very special because he's New York's public advocate, which is, and he just got reelected, which is a very important position to inhabit because he communicates between different agencies what the people of New York want. What a cool position to have. What a difficult position to have. What an impossible thing to do. So Jumani Williams has to be a master communicator, and he is reading The Radical King by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., edited by Cornell West, and he talks about how misunderstood Dr. King is and how whitewashed he has been and how Ed specific times, convenient quotes get pulled, but that it is absolutely ignored how much Dr. King and Malcolm X were converging in thought toward the end of their lives. And that's why the book is called The Radical King. And we talk, I remember we talk about the word radical, which is such a interesting word because, and he says this right here, he says people are afraid of the word radical when it's about changing power structures. Otherwise, they have no problem with it. And I was like, that is so true. And I spoke to him in 2020 at the height of the BLM movement. And um, I sought him out because as the you know, public advocate of New York City, I needed to know what that person is reading, of course. And He says very clearly that to him being radical is absolutely necessary. That's how anything has changed in government at any point. That's how things have been improved for the masses at any given point in time. Without being radical, there is no forward movement. There is no momentum. And for there to be momentum, you need to create pressure. Because without pressure, where does the movement come from? You stand still. And so just talking about this word radical and what being radical means during that moment in time where I was editing the book, making the book, and when I was not doing that, I was also on the streets and supporting the movement, which I've been 
a supporter of for many years and then in 2020 really felt called to step it up again, you know, because it was needed at that time horribly and necessarily so. This is a very, very specific marker in time, that specific conversation. And when I look at it, I'm immediately taken back to the streets and I immediately see myself being confronted by the NYPD again. And I'm immediately being, I'm taken back to this insanely visible injustice that we willingly saw together as a nation almost for the first time with fresh eyes again. And also how quickly that goes away again um, is really heartbreaking, you know, how quickly we move on again and how much we are able to leave unresolved is something that I think about often these days. So that's where this conversation takes me. This one, you know, but but I also asked Jumani, what do you say to the future generations of New York? And he speaks beautifully about it. And he says people tend to think of New York's hard edge, right? New York's kind of radical as a town. It's a very tough town. But he also says we can be a little abrasive, but we have a lot of love. When a New Yorker is hurt, other New Yorkers lift them up. We have to leave the city a little bit better than we found it. And we owe it to the next generation to not go backward. And we have to keep that love energy strong. And I think that's the that's the reminder of last year and what we need to carry forward, not just as it pertains to Black Lives Matter, but as it pertains to the pandemic, right? We've learned so much about collective care and how important it is and how that collective care alters our lives forever. Doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. When collective care is in your life, you're a different person. Last year, we were so together and we were so in it. And I felt so deeply connected to my city. And this year, I think we're all kind of exhausted and we're, we understand the momentous effort that we have extended to each other. I'm really curious how we're going to take these feelings and these emotions, how we're going to digest them collectively, and what we're going to build from them. I'm definitely feeling or absorbing that feeling of collective exhaustion at the moment and wondering how to, like you mentioned, like how to give back to New York and I think so many people left New York City in the pandemic because it suited them. Sometimes I left too. And many people didn't have that option. But to be in New York and now go, how can we come together, some more support communities just when kind of the winter's coming again and the isolation feels like it's starting to come back a little bit? So that's a challenge. Yeah, you know, we've gone through it last year. And I think last year at first, people were, many people who were leading lives that were too busy and too frantic, got the benefit of standing still and resting and had the benefit of getting a break. God, I'm going to just say it. They were feeling grateful for their own selves 
to have that isolation and that rest, which also says a lot about our society. And I think that was a global experience. That wasn't a New York experience. That was a global thing that you would hear a friend say, I didn't know how much I needed to really come to a standstill. Granted that people were dying massively, and I don't think anyone meant it as, oh, thank God for this, but I think it was a really honest response where people said, we, we needed to stop. This was too, it was too much, too much consumption, too much business, too much expenditure of unnecessary things, too much, just too much. And we got the brake slammed on us. And a pandemic doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, a pandemic happens when things are so messed up that they can rupture to this point that we're experiencing. And I think we should not forget that, you know, that this is happening and we're experiencing this because of how messed up. And I think we got a gigantic moment of reflection offered to insert ourselves back into the ecosystem and to not pretend that we're outside of it and that we're untouchable. That's such a big tangent. No, it's beautiful. (laughs) I think that sometimes exhaustion comes from lack of connection. So we can, we kind of are misguided, you know, how kind of depression can be anxiety that's unregulated and the body's like no more mm-hmm. in the same way when like being, you know, I always used to use the word I'm overwhelmed, like in quote. I decided I never want to use that word again because I never want to get to that point. Mm. It's like that feeling of, you know, when you're most tired, you should go for a walk or like see a friend and all of a sudden you're completely lit up working out where we get our energy. And I think, you know, taking from what you've said and trying to apply it to my own life, actually the the kind of flatlining of emotions is only because I haven't been connecting with people. And for me, it's face to face. Yes. I need that. The Zoom is not working for me anymore. But that's perfect because you know what you need to be radical. And I say that, you know, like radically loving, I would add to that, right? Um, And it's very important for each and every single one of us to use this time. And I'm reading such a good book on that topic right now. It's called Wintering by Catherine May. It's about the power of rest during difficult times. And it speaks to the fact that we've also become disconnected from the seasons, you know, and that we've become disconnected from our body being an organism that needs cycles of rest and rejuvenation and then cycles of action and cycles of taking stock. Um, We need that as people, but we forget it. And I think that this is such an incredible time to bring these things back to the forefront and to say, yes, wintering is meant as a moment of rest and hibernation, but just like a tree, when the leaves fall and it looks bare and it looks dead, it's the least dead because that's when it's making new buds, but it needs to shed everything and needs to let everything go before it can do that so that these beautiful juices can flow from the ground into these little branches and then the buds can form. There's so much to be found in that. And in a city like New York, you know, we 
sometimes say, oh, we're so disconnected from nature. I would absolutely argue against that because we're connected to human nature. We're connected to nature in our parks. We're connected to nature just, you know, there's, we have our rivers. We have so many beautiful natural moments around us. Um, and if you're listening and you are surrounded by nature and not by city, you know, like this will be a no-brainer for you. But I think that human nature and nature period is the greatest teacher and we're part of it. We're absolutely part of it. We're a part, we're a natural element and we're a force and we're seeing what kind of force we are. You know, we can, our lives are changing before our very eyes right now because of how powerful of an organism we are. And I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. I'm exhausted, but I'm also hopeful. I'm very, very exhausted. A hundred percent. I have to say it. I've had the busiest two years of my life. I had no rest during 2020 and 2021. And I don't say that to gloat. I say that because it's a fun fact about me that I had no rest in 2020 nor in 2021. And I'm, I have to respect that. And I have to say, okay, then now one of my dearest friends, Kamau Ware, the founder of the Black Gotham Experience, is he's currently in what he calls Shavasana because he also had no rest in 2020 and in 2021. He said, now I go into Shavasana, which is, you know, the corpse pose where you surrender and you lay and you let everything integrate that you have worked on. And I was like, yep you're onto it. You know it. Shavasana is coming. And I will give that to myself right after this bookshop. I will go into Shavasana a hundred percent. I hope so. And I hope other people do it too. And I hope that we do it frequently. I hope that we don't do it every two years. I hope that we do it often and find a way to let life integrate into our being I'm sure you've observed with the people that you've interviewed that there's been a transition in what people are reaching for in terms of books, kind of post-pandemic, post-Black Lives Matter. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little about that because like you mentioned, what we grapple for or what we are attracted to in a book says so much about where we are at a certain point in time as to what we're craving and needing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, interestingly, you're reading Wintering, right, because you need guidance on how to give yourself what you need. And wondering what you're seeing, you know, out there on the subways, but also from some of the people you've interviewed more recently. Yeah, I would say... um I mean, Min Jin Lee said this so perfectly, author of Pachinko and many other great books. She said, you know, we read because there's no question that a book can't answer. And I think the answers that we're looking for now are really about healing. I see, I see a good amount of when things fall apart on the subway, which is, of course, very fitting, uh, which is about surrender and about letting go. Uh, Pima Ch Children, maybe that's how you say the last name. I might be butchering that right now, horribly so. And I see Braiding Sweetgrass um, by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which is a beautiful indigenous writing about living a life well in accordance with nature and with other people and beings around you. I really think that Healing is on our mind, but there is also, there's such a big disillusionment too about 
I think we learned over the last years that we're maybe not as taken care of by our governments as we think, and that authority figures might not have people's best interests in mind <laughs> looking at the Trump years here, right? Like, um, there has been a disillusionment that has been taken place. And it's almost like a child finding out that the parents who've been telling it that they are its parents have been telling it a lie and also finds out what real parenting looks like maybe for other people. And I think that Americans at this moment in time, and I'm reaching here, but I'm, you know, potentially and feel free to disagree. And this is really, truly just my impression. I think that America is almost like um, a teenager who's now going to college and who says, who realizes who it can be and that it can decide who it wants to be. And that's exciting. That's great. That's wonderful. America is such a young country compared to other countries. And it really feels like it's in that stage of, of saying, oh, I, I can really choose my own identity. And individuals are finding ways to express themselves that are far outside the mainstream. There are so many good books that I see that people read um, that are fantasy books that really open up possibilities, very hands-on books, right? Self-help books about how to become financially independent, um, especially in the new crypto world that we're now entering and have been entering for some time. There is an acknowledgement of there being as many realities possible as there are people with imagination. And we're at such a fascinating cusp of that, of tipping into that, of tipping into this real, true, multi-reality living. And I think we don't, we don't even know yet. We're at the very first moments of it. And I'm really curious to see how we're going to take it on and what we're going to make of it. What's well, interesting too that... The physical book is such a, well, it's such an intimate thing and it's a physical thing we can touch and hold. And a huge part of what made your, you so successful was that you harnessed Instagram to share these really intimate, beautiful moments you had with people um, at the Subway Book Review. And now you have hundreds of thousands of followers and a community that's built upon uh, these foundations that you've built, which I think is of being curious, passionate, kind, and open-minded. It's interesting to think of that kind of brave new world we're going into and the applications of that. Like I was just imagining um, kind of a virtual experience where I could be you on the subway. Like I could feel you. I could go into an experience where I was talking to that person as if, you know, I were you. And I thought that would be an incredibly empathetic opening experience mm. if that were possible. So I'm wondering, yeah, yeah, how you feel about how to take what you've done and what other possibilities you feel there are. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question because I really think that not just our generation, but the people who are alive at this moment in time. And I'm a, I'm a cusper. I'm a, 
I'm not a millennial, but I'm also not a Gen Xer. I'm like, I'm a weird in-betweeny. I'm a, I was born in 1981, so I know analog times very well and grew up with that, but then also am, you know, one of the first digital adopters. And I think that I have such a hard time and I have to really make a great effort to remove myself from this tiny period of time that I'm going to occupy, right? Like if I'm lucky, it's 70, 80 years which is so short. That is so nothing, you know? And if I step back and look at, it's so easy now to look back and look at the 1700s and be like, well, these people had problems that are unfathomable. And oh my God, the mistakes they made. And oh my God, how they dealt with this and what they, you know, the gloriousness and the the horrificness and all of it, right? Like it's so easy to look back and say, oh, here is, you know, hundreds of years and then to judge it. But it's so hard to look at your own tiny amount of yours and to have a clear mind about it. I really truly believe that what I hope comes out of my Shavasana is a grander vision that is really truly applied for a longer period of time. And the person who really inspired me to do that, aside from Kamau who talks about Shavasana, is Nick, who is in the time chapter and who works for the Long Now Foundation. I'm trying to find it right now because he looks at the next 10,000 years. And I was like, how on earth do you look at 10,000 years? That's absolutely bonkers and wild and bananas and fantastic. And one of the things that they're doing, they're doing many things, is that they're building a clock that will measure time for the next 10,000 years. And they're building it in a mountain in the middle of a desert, but you'll be able to visit it And when you visit it, it will chime a sound that will only chime once during those entire 10,000 years. And it will be a sound that's unique to you. And just thinking about that makes me so freaking happy, you know? And it is such a simple act to mark a singular human's impact on this world and its importance And just the act of saying, let's not think about a 10-year vision, let's not think about a 20-year vision, let's think about a 10,000-year vision, there's something so preposterous about that that makes it entirely possible, (laughs) you know? I want to attempt that. I really want to attempt that. Nick was reading The Glass Beat Game by Hermann Hesse, by the way. And, uh, you know, in the same chapter, you have Emma Straub, fabulous author, owner of Books Are Magic, and... She speaks about, well, can you even remember the time before email? Can you even for a moment just remember that and just remember what time meant to you and how much unmeasured time you had in your life before email? And that was moments ago, you know? And if you really think about it, if you think about it in a 10,000-year scale, that was just yesterday that we didn't have email. Well, don't you wonder, too, how people worked Like if you waited, I mean, now we receive things so instantaneously in an email form. Remember when you had to wait? We can't wait anymore. We hate waiting. We can't wait at all. We're impatient. It needs to be instant. If it's not instant, it's considered literally broken, you know? Right now the supply chain is completely screwed up and because of the pandemic and books are not coming out when they're supposed to come out. This book got pushed. We can't accept delay. We can't accept... Um, time not happening on our terms at all. And I wonder where that comes from. I think when we're dealing very well with time is when we're reading, 
a printed book, a physical book, when we're immersed in a in a word on a page, Kindle, wherever you read. But when you're really immersed in a platform that can't distract you, in a medium that can't distract you with other things happening simultaneously. I think the reason that I love reading a printed book, I can't read digitally. I need to turn a page. That's part of the pleasure of it for me. When I'm in a printed book, I can't do anything else at the same time. It's the multitasking that is completely obliterating our brains, I And think. you can't multitask reading a, a, a printed book. On a phone, you can still get notifications. You can still get taken out of it. Um, Kindle probably also works. E-reader also works because you don't get notifications. But just to let your mind be with one thing at a time, what a wonderful experience that is. How often do you get it? Not that often that silence is killing us. No, because I'm like trying racking my brain. No, I've started to want to draw, like trying to, I mean, so many of us maybe like in our 40s now, you have a real middle-aged moment of what am I going, what is the second half of my life going to look like? As you said, how am I going to spend my time and what value do I place on that time and the people I choose to spend that time with? Well, or even we're back at the MTA kiosk. Do I look at value or do I look at time? But I think we're all working out what, what takes us into a place that's singular, mm-hmm. that concentrating on that one thing, but also how that's so soothing for our brains and our nervous systems. Yes, a singular focus. Absolutely. We love it. I mean, that's also why so many people are crazy about TikTok because it gives them one singular focus and keeps you in a loop and keeps you in one lane and it just keeps feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, which some people, you know, have trepidations about it. Um, I'm personally not on TikTok because to me it's over. That is too much. That's, you know, my brain can hardly handle it. Ah, I'm getting old. I'm getting old, my friend. But, um, But I'm not mad at it in terms of like, I fully understand why people dig it so much and why people are so freaking into it and why people are so addicted to it, you know? Um, I also think that we, you know, we just have to acknowledge like Instagram is not what it used to be. People are getting off of it. People don't want to do it anymore. People are dispirited by it. It's, you know, it's making people potentially more unhappy that it's bringing them joy, which is horrible. We really need to think about how we want to communicate with each other and how we want to connect with each other and how that takes place in what different ways. That's really something that we need to crack and quite urgently because otherwise we're going to keep having these social media platforms come in and just make that decision for us. I think we're relying on these platforms to be the way we communicate with people. Like sometimes I think if I go off it, how will I ever tell anyone about the podcast or the book how they even know there's a new episode up it's it's a it's a trick but then like imagine just doing an exercise now imagine if oh facebook slash meta just quit instagram like just said it's shut down can you imagine yes whole day but like how that would collectively like if they were just like oh no we're done and everyone, they'd probably go straight to TikTok, right? But there'd be, well, A, there'd be panic because also we have to think about all those beautiful photos we have of our loved ones and friends are all held in a platform that could change or go away. Anyway, 
we're like totally, this is the best conversation because we're totally delving into just the now of our existence. But we, but isn't that a great, I mean, isn't that what a book asks us to do, you know, is to ponder existence and to ponder what can be and to ponder the different mindsets and the different possibilities and the different fantastical ideas and imaginations. I mean, the thing that we need most, if I can say this, 100%, the thing we absolutely need most at this time is people with imagination. That's the number one thing that we need because we have so much to tackle, you know? And I um, I just spoke with a friend who's visiting from Germany and we said how much Germans love to see problems everywhere, which is, you know, not always a joy, let's just say. A German loves to find a problem and then to see the problem and then to be like, let's find solutions for these problems and then let's identify how many problems the solution has and then let, you know, it's endless. It's really, and it, that, that's the economy of Germany, how it's built. So um, there's like constant problem finding, but I think that on the, on the flip side of that is the opportunity finding and then balancing the scales within the opportunity. So it's not one-sided. That's what we need. That is truly what we need. And how are you going to get these answers? Well, of course, in books. How are you going to get these ideas? Of course, in books. Well, and to learn from the past and others' experiences before us. Like our quandaries with technology and the climate are kind of in quote, maybe new, but people have been grappling with these questions of human existence and change for ever since humans were around and they've been documenting it for us. Yeah, exactly. The problem is, of course, how can we read all of the books in such a short time that is our lives, right? That's the issue. That's really the issue. I'm like, which is why I wanted to make this book where you get a, content, a condensed bit of 170 books that you grasp in a, you know, within one title that holds it all, because that's the question. Like, how can we possibly, you know, take in all this previous knowledge? How do we do that? How do we do that? And back to time and value is, you know, sometimes I want to, there's something to be said for absorbing and reading, but there's something to be said for living. Right. Like living, creating experiences and stories for yourself that happen in the real world. Right. Like I think sometimes, I'm sure many listeners and you and I included, can retreat into the written world of imagination and stories as a way to retreat from potentially creating real relationships and stories in our lives because they're more difficult, right? So I think there's that balance there too um, to learn from but then to go out into the world and move, create energy, shift things. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's coming back to your even the shavasana so you can be energized again and the wintering mm -hmm. so it's all part of a cycle that we should respect in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think that's that's perfect. That's very, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? Or it would be, well, I'm trying to stray away from perfection. It would be the thing, let's say. It'd be something. It'd be something. <laughs> we, Uli, we could talk on forever and I think we might have to do 
a lit up round two with you next year to check in on maybe after your Shavasana to see what you gathered from that time. That'd Mm. be really interesting to see what you've been like reading and absorbing. But I'm going to ask my last question now, Mm. and that is what lights you up? A hundred things, I know. One hundred things. What lights me up is a sincere conversation. And that can be funny, they can be sad, they can be mind-blowing, they can be upsetting, they can be, you know, aggravating, whatever. But a sincere conversation where both parties are willing to be honest. <sighs> I mean, there's nothing better like it. Because we do so much small talk and we do we have so many conversations that are so insincere and that are not based on honesty or that are based on shortcuts of saying, how are you? I'm fine moving on. You know, (laughs) it's all, it's all a flash. But when we can really stop and when you can really listen to another person and the other person's really listening to you, I mean, that's like, you know, that's like a cozy blanket, the perfect cup of tea, you're the cat of your dreams slash dog with the person of your dreams all bundled up into one and it hits you and you're just satisfied and content. That's beautiful. That's what lights me up too, which is why I do this. Um, I think it lights up many people, you know? I think we really want it. I think that we're all on a quest to find it all of the time. And I hope that this conversation lights people up in some kind of way, wherever they may be. I do too. So before we go, how can everyone follow you on your Instagram accounts? Tell everyone about your own podcast as well. You can find me at Subway Book Review, which is where I publish my interview work and the conversations and the people I encounter. You can find me at the UBC, which is my personal account, which is chaotic. So get ready for that. Those are both on Instagram. You can subscribe to the newsletter on the website, which is subwaybookreview.co. And uh, yes, we are launching and working on a podcast that will come out in 2022. And that will be on all podcast stations imaginable. Um, That will happen after Shavasana. And I'm very excited about it. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. What a joy. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Uli Boyta-Cohen. Her book, Between the Lines, is available now, and you can purchase it via the link on our website, lituppodcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with a little holiday present. See you then. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgerwood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. The theme music is by Andre Radofsky. Until next time, bye everyone. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.